So I, I really believe that, that church is about connecting with God and connecting with people. And uh, it feels a little maybe unorthodox or unconventional to just take a break like that. But we're a new church, so we can kind of do whatever we want. And uh, so, we, yeah, it's, it's fun to do this, and it's fun to connect. And, uh, yeah, our hope is that, that meaningful connections are happening. Um, so it's, it's August 2nd today. And uh, we're 10 months in as a new church, uh, approaching our one-year birthday as a church. And uh, it's been a, a, great, a great season for us as a new church. It's been a time where we started off with about 30 adults and about 20 children. Um, and, and we've been growing over this last year. In summer, uh, a lot of people have been traveling. A lot of people have been out of town. A lot of people are still out of town. Uh, but God's been good. And, and more and more people have been just kind of connecting and gathering. And, uh, and what we find is that there, there's a, a, a huge... Uh, desire and need uh, for a church in this community. And so we're so excited that you're here, uh, that you're, you're, you're hearing more about what, what we are, who we are, what we're doing, and, and, and you're jumping in with what God is up, up to. We believe that God is at work in this community even before we got here. And so as a new church, we just want to join in. Um, and I want to spend just this month kind of casting a little bit of vision and building identity and culture as we kind of have been reimagining what church can look like together. And so your, your uh, participation, your input, uh, your voice is, is so, so important and vital to what we do as a church. And so I'm excited uh, kind of what, for what God has planned, and I think uh, he's got something significant planned uh, for us as we, uh, as we uh, just share his story with his community. So we're starting a series today called Be Thou Our Vision. And... Be Thou Our Vision, um, for me, it resonates because of, there's this old song, it's an old hymn, and it's actually an old Irish hymn, and it says, Be Thou My Vision, O Lord of My Heart. Have you, how many of you heard that song before? How many of you knew that that song was written uh, in the Irish language back in about uh, the 6th century A.D.? It's actually this, this old monastic hymn that's been passed down, and it's been kind of reinterpreted. But there's this, this vision and, uh, uh, or this song about God being our vision that for over a thousand years now, followers of Jesus have gathered and sang. And when we think about us as a new church, when we think about what God is calling us to do, uh, we don't want to be anything different than what his vision is for us. And in fact, he is the vision for the church. Jesus is the vision. Jesus is the subject of everything that we do as a church. And so our thought is, as we kind of talk about who we want to be, there's this reminder that the vision is God, and it's his vision uh, for who, who he's shaping us into. So this uh, month, I want to talk about uh, the next five weeks, kind of a little bit about our language and identity. And, uh, and I believe that the vision God gives, gives us for this community comes in different ways. Uh, one thing is it comes from people. It comes from people gathering together and imagining something new. People gathering together and saying there's need over here or this is happening and, and there's these connection points that take place. When the first kind of uh, core group of people came together, uh, a lot of them were living kind of in this area and there was, yeah, we, we know that we, we want a new church in this place. So the vision comes from, from people responding to what God's put on their heart. The vision also comes through from prayer. I think this last year for us has been a time, uh, it's kind of a reconnaissance mission. We want to know what is up to in this neighborhood. We want to be in touch with what God's doing, and we want to fill in the gaps for where God is missing. 
And so being in tune with the spirit of what God is saying to us as we've been gathered here, um, the, the vision comes from him speaking to us through prayer. Uh, but the vision also comes uh, through scripture. And every week we gather and we, we, uh, we, we tell a story of, of, of scripture, a story that was written 2,000 years ago, but still has unbelievable meaning for us today because we believe that it's God's word. And so we shape our lives around what is told to us through the scripture. And, uh, and from that, there's a, a couple just kind of sayings I want to kind of put into our vocabulary as a church. And the first that we're going to talk about today is this idea of redeeming the past. I want to be a church that's committed to redeeming the past. And we'll talk about what that means today. The second kind of phrase, and this is in your, uh, in your worship folder, is being fully engaged in the present. We want to be a church that's fully engaged in the present. Present in the present. And, uh, and so what we look like as a church, even as we, as we uh, start to build on, on people and build on a space, uh, we want that to represent this idea that we want to be uh, fully engaged in the present here in the community. And that doesn't mean just on Sundays, but that means throughout the week. And so we're looking at this idea of a shared space uh, for the community that, that the community can use throughout the week that we can use on Sundays. Um, and this shared space idea we'll talk about next week. One of the great uh, things I think about the shared space is we're talking about putting in a childcare element because we have a lot of babies. And this neighborhood has a lot of young families. And the third thing that we want to be as a church is we want to reimagine the future. So we want to redeem the past. We want to be fully engaged in the present. And we want to reimagine a future together. We believe that uh, some of the, the greatest churches in the world are yet to be planted. That God has this amazing future uh, for, for our culture, for our country, for our world. And that he's at work and he hasn't stopped working. And we're a part of building something new. So we want to have what I would call this maybe holy imagination or a missional imagination where we're excited about what God is doing and we're open to risk-taking and we're open to new things to reach more people for Jesus. And then the fourth week, we're going to talk about this idea of simple. Uh, simple, what, it, what, what are the simple things that we're called to do as a church and let's not add anything to it. And uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about kind of our, our beliefs and, and how that shapes us. And then the last week, we're talking about the sacred. We use these terms simple and sacred. Um, the sacred is, what do we hold dear as a church? That's the day where uh, we celebrate baptisms. There's something, uh, there, there's something sacramental that happens uh, through, through our activity as a church. And so we're going to talk about that. So that's kind of painting a picture of where we're going this month. But today, looking at the scripture, if that helps shape our vision, I want to look at two stories and uh, I know I've been going kind of long, so I'll try to go fairly quick through these stories. But I think these stories help shape us with this idea of redeeming the past. We want to be a church that is committed to redeeming the past because throughout Scripture, what we find is that God takes people who are broken, uh, who have messed up, uh, who have had terrible things happen to them, and, and he uses them for unbelievable things for the kingdom. There's this redemption that happens in life through Christ. And it doesn't matter necessarily what our past is, because in Christ we have this great future. So the first story is of, uh, of a man named Joseph, which is found in the Old Testament. And the second story is a man named Paul. Now, the story of Joseph takes place in Genesis, uh, starting in chapter 37. And I don't have all of the text on the screen, but if you want to 
uh, follow along. In verse 2, I want to read this, just kind of give an introduction of this man named Joseph. It says in verse 2 of chapter 37 of Genesis, Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending flocks with his brothers. So we know this is a teenager and he's a shepherd. Uh, and it talks about kind of where the family comes from. Um, but it says that he brought a bad report about his brothers back to his father. So he's basically tattling on his brothers. Now Israel, the father, loved Joseph more than any other of the sons because he had been born to him in an older age and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. And when the brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So there's this story of this boy, he's 17, and he's got a bunch of brothers, and uh, he tattles on the brothers. And what we find is that the brothers aren't really excited about them, about Joseph tattling on them, as you can imagine. And, uh, but then we also find out that it's not just that they're upset that he tattled, but they actually have something against Joseph because they feel like he's the favorite one, that the father loves him more than others. So there's this jealousy that takes place. There's relational tension that we see in families. And uh, thank God that doesn't happen anymore, right? But, uh, no, but we live in this tension in, in relationships. And for Joseph, he feels that. In this group of brothers, he, what we find is he's kind of an outsider uh, because of the way that his father treats him. His father gives him this great gift, this colorful robe. And uh, the brothers are jealous, and it says that they hate him. And what we find over the life of Joseph, uh, there's this, uh, a series of kind of unfortunate events that happen to him. So we know that he's the favorite son that his brothers hate him. And then because of that, uh, there's this story where uh, the, the father uh, uh, sends Joseph out to, to check up in on his brothers who are out uh, uh, in the fields with the, with the sheep. And, and Joseph goes out there and, and he goes to check in on them. And what we find is in the story, the brothers see him coming and they're like, oh great, here comes Joseph again. Remember last time he was here, he tattled on us for our bad behavior. So they devise this plot to, jo- to uh, basically to harm Joseph. And they have this, this idea that they, they're basically going to get rid of him. Some of the brothers actually want to kill Joseph because they hate him so much. And so as they start plotting about what they're going to do, one of the brothers speaks up and he says, we can't do that. We can't kill Joseph. He's our brother. There's no way that we can do that. So they end up throwing him in this cistern, in this well. They throw Joseph down there and they're like, we're just going to leave him here. We're going to abandon him. We don't know what's going to happen to him. And they're trying to fabricate the story of we want this guy out of our life. We're going to do something harmful to him. Then we're going to lie to our dad and say that he had this terrible thing happen. And so they're discussing what they should do for, to Joseph. And this group of mercenaries come, comes through. And they decide, uh, instead of killing Joseph, let's not kill him because he's our brother. That would be a terrible thing to do. We should just sell him to this group of merchants. So they take Joseph, their brother, and they end up selling him into slavery. Can you imagine uh, the relational strife that you have to be in, that you would actually sell your brother into slavery. So Joseph gets hated by his brothers, he gets abandoned, and then he's actually sold into slavery. He's trafficked, human trafficking. Uh, His brothers completely betray him. This terrible story of abandonment for for Joseph. And then what we find is that as Joseph goes in to slavery, uh, he gets sold into uh, this, this great house in Egypt. And you know, Egypt Uh, The history of Egypt, back when they built the pyramids, they were kind of like the premier empire in the world. And Joseph is sold into slavery, but he finds himself sold into this house of a man named Potiphar. And Potiphar is like the number two most powerful man in Egypt, which is the most powerful empire in the world. 
So although Joseph is sold into slavery, he's placed into uh, a, a, pretty, a pretty significant role because he's a slave in a very powerful house. What we find is, as he's a slave in this house, and, and you can, can't even, I, I can't even imagine what it would be like to be a slave, uh, but he, he starts working for his master, and everything that he touches just turns to gold. He's a, a man of great character, even though he's been wronged um, in his life and betrayed by his brothers. He's got this unbelievable character integrity, and, and what we find is everything he touches just kind of flourishes. Uh, and then the master's wife, Potiphar's wife, ends up kind of getting eyes for him, and, and she falls in love with him, and she likes him. And, and I, I, I don't know what this dynamic was. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing it's something kind of like uh, uh, the graduate, uh, Mrs. Robinson, pursuing this young man. And, uh, and he decides that uh, he's not going to respond to her coming on to him. And so we have this kind of weird uh, tension where the, the, pastor, the, the master's wife is in love with Joseph, and he decides to uh, say no to her and reject her, and it ticks her off, and she gets upset. So she fabricates this lie about what, how Joseph has treated her. She goes to Potiphar and says, this is the way Joseph's been treating me. He's been trying to come on to me, and, and it, it infuriates uh, Joseph's master. And what, what happens then is that Joseph's not only in slavery, but he's lied to, and then he's thrown into jail because of it. So Joseph, doing the right thing, has something terrible happen to him. So originally, he's betrayed by his brothers, and now he's uh, been lied about, and he's thrown in jail. And there's this kind of, like, why do bad things happen to good people? And we look at the life of Joseph, and we see a bad thing happening to someone who's done nothing wrong. While he's in jail, uh, he starts this relationship with some of the other people that are in jail. And this jail is full of people that uh, have worked uh, for Potiphar and for kind of the, 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 the high class of Egypt. I mean, he comes into contact with a couple of people that work for the king. And he has these conversations with them. And one of the guys has this dream, and Joseph interprets it because Joseph, throughout this experience of his life, has been close to God. He interprets the dream. The guy ends up getting out of jail, and Joseph says, when you get out of jail, go and tell Pharaoh who I am and what I've done. And the guy says, I will do that. And what we find is in this story, the guy forgets who Joseph is. So Joseph is forgotten. When you think about kind of looking at what's going on in this life, it's like terrible thing after terrible thing happens to him. He's betrayed. He's lied about. Uh, he's slandered. He has people uh, do terrible things to him, and then he's forgotten. And then the story, as the story goes, eventually Joseph, uh, the, 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 the Pharaoh, has this dream that's very disturbing. And uh, he has this dream, and as he's leading Egypt, he has this, this terrible dream that uh, he's trying to figure out what, what's happening, what are the gods saying to him. And he brings in all these people to try to interpret the dream. And finally, this servant who was in jail with Joseph says, I, I remember when I was in prison, there was a guy that interpreted a dream, and it turned out to be true. And so he calls Joseph in, and Joseph interprets this dream uh, for the Pharaoh. And, and what we find is that it, it comes true, and, and, and he finds favor uh, in the Pharaoh's eyes. And, uh, and so Joseph gets taken out of prison, and because of his wisdom, because he's able to interpret this dream, he gets placed in this high position. And so he's had all of these terrible things happen to him, and at the end of Joseph's, uh, towards kind of the, the later point in his life, in the midst of all the darkness that happens to him, all of a sudden he's placed in this uh, a, a position of power in Egypt. And what we find is that there's this great famine that comes through the land. And because of Joseph's 
wisdom and him being close to God. Uh, he, he's been placed uh, in this position of power and influence. And he's able to prepare Egypt for this great and mighty uh, famine where everyone's starving. He prepares Egypt to feed the world. And at the end of his story, uh, his brothers who are starving come to the Pharaoh. They've heard that Pharaoh has been prepared for the famine and they come to buy food. And there's this reconnection point. The brothers who have mistreated Joseph all of a sudden come to Joseph. And there's this interaction that takes place. And eventually what happens is they re- like Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. And one of the kind of most powerful stories in Scripture, we have Joseph forgiving the brothers, even though they sold him into slavery, even though they did terrible things to him that just robbed him of his youth, that created, put him down this path of, of pain, of betrayal, of being a slave and in jail. And Joseph forgives the brothers. And in fact, there's this uh, very powerful statement when the brothers come before Joseph. Um, when they come before Joseph, Joseph says this to the brothers. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Some of you are familiar with this story. But all the things that were done to Joseph that were terrible, all the things uh, that could have broke him as a person, that could have caused him to become cynical, that could have caused him uh, to give up, all of the, the nasty things people do to him, he stays true to what, who he is in his relationship with God. And he's placed in this position of power where he's able to feed the world And he says this to his brothers, You intended to harm me, but God took it and he used it for good to accomplish now what's what's happening, the, the saving of many lives. So there's this story of what other people do to us. And very early on in the scripture, what we find is that people who are in this relationship with God, although although terrible things might happen to them, their story isn't over. God is using all of those things to bring about something bigger, this greater plan that he has. And in the midst of all the terrible things happening to Joseph, God is redeeming that to use him, to put him into a position where he's saving many lives. And I think about my life. I've lived a fairly sheltered life. Nothing nearly uh, as bad as Joseph. Um, I have a brother. He's here we have a relationship where, like many, many siblings, we have a sibling rivalry. But he's never sold me into slavery. He's never thrown me into a cistern. I'm sure he's wanted to for the way that I've treated him. But it's never been that bad. But I have had other things happen to me. I have had other people harm me. I have had other things where I've tried to be noble and do the right thing. And uh, even because of that, um, been placed in tough positions. Maybe you've experienced that in your life. Maybe you've been betrayed before by those uh, that you love, so those that you trust. Maybe you've been lied about or slandered. Uh, maybe you've been in a situation where you've done everything right. You've tried to be a person of integrity. You've tried to do the right thing, and the outcome doesn't work out for you. And you think, if I just do the right thing, then we almost, almost exist with these laws of karma. If I just do the right thing, Right thing, the right thing will happen back to me, but it doesn't work out that way. Um, I think all of us have had experiences where people have harmed us. But the story of Scripture that we see again and again 
in the story of Joseph is that the things that were taken to harm us, the things that people intended to harm us, God uses that for the good. And you don't know where you're at in the story, and you don't know what the outcome's going to be yet. But in this relationship with God, he takes all these experiences and he redeems them to bring life to other people. This is the story of Joseph. And in the midst of those who would do harm to us, we understand that there's a bigger plan in place. The story's not over, and God can use it for something good. So we talk about this idea of redeeming the past. One thing as a church is we want to redeem people so that they have this outlook on life. That although you may be here, and you may be here because someone harmed you, you may be here and you're carrying around this brokenness because of how the world has treated you. In Christ, there's redemption. And all of those things that were painful can be used for a new story, for a new day, for something new that God is going to do. God redeems all the things that were done to us. The second story is of a man named Paul. And Paul is a a very important figure in the New Testament of Scripture. He ends up writing half of the New Testament. But his story starts uh, with an identity. His name is Saul. And what we find in Acts chapter 8, Saul uh, is this guy that's actually persecuting the church. We find that he's this uh, man of this uh, uh, significant influence. And he's using that influence to harm other people. He thinks he's doing the right thing, but he's actually doing uh, harm. And what we find in chapter 8 of Acts is there's this man named Stephen, who's a follower of Jesus, that ends up being martyred. He ends up getting stoned because of his participation uh, in the way of this new uh, Jesus way. And Saul is there uh, encouraging and helping uh, the death of Stephen. And then in Acts chapter 9, there's this... uh, Uh, There's this experience, and I'll just kind of read what happens. And if you want to turn there, um, you can see in Acts chapter 9, it says this. Starting in verse 1, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still uh, breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciple. This idea that murderous threats, so Saul is... uh, Yeah, Saul is is out to basically murder these people who are following Jesus. And it says, He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that he found any there who belonged to the way or to to the church, whether men or women, he might take them in prison to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul asked, Who are you, Lord? And the voice responded, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So this man named Saul, who is this this terrible person, uh, he's persecuting the early church. He's having people murdered. And we find in the story he's he's actually researching, trying to figure out, who is it that's joined this way? I want to stop it. He's got this hardened heart, and uh, he's a murderous person. And he has this moment where Jesus speaks to him. And it talks about this flash of light that comes. And he has this encounter with the living Christ. And what we find from that encounter, from that flash of light, from that thunderous voice, is that Saul gets this new identity. Jesus becomes real to him, and his entire life changes. 
from here we find kind of in the story what happens to Saul next is that he, he goes to this town and he's surrounded by the church and they end up embracing him. Even though they're terrified that this is the guy that's been persecuting and, and killing us, they embrace him. And Saul's whole life changes. He does a, just a, a complete 180 turn on who he is. And all of this energy that Saul uses to persecute the church now gets used in a way uh, that God gets a hold of his heart and uses him to expand the kingdom. And he becomes this unbelievable asset to the church through this experience. Saul is this guy that his identity is wrapped up in evil. His identity is wrapped up in oppressing others. The Christians are terrified of him. But when Jesus gets a hold of him, his life changes. And if there was ever someone that you would, you would think uh, God is going to give up on or God was going to get upset with or bring justice to, it would be this guy named Saul. But through Christ, he gets this new identity. So there's something else about redemption. The choices that we make, the things that we do to ourselves that separate us from other people, the things that we do that bring pain to others, God redeems those things as well. So there's the redemption that comes from the pain that other people call us, have caused us. But then there's this other redemption that, that personally God gets a hold of our heart. We have this encounter with Jesus. We have this conversion experience where everything changes. And all of the things that we do that are bad, Christ takes them and he redeems them. Christ takes them and he redeems them. Uh, just like this passage in Romans, it says this. And these are the words from Saul, who became Paul. He says, you see, just at the right time, when you were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If anyone knew what the love and forgiveness of God was like, it was Saul, who was just doing terrible things to people. And he has this encounter with Christ, and all of these things that he's done are all of a sudden redeemed, and there's healing and transformation that happens. And as a church, we believe this is true for all of us. That no matter what you've done, no matter what your past is, no matter how dark it is, for Saul, this guy's a murderer, that in Christ, our past can be redeemed. So when we think about, as a church, who we want to be, we want to be a church that's redeeming the past. I believe that everyone here carries pain. Everyone here carries difficult experiences and baggage. Whether things that have been done to us by others, or whether things that we've done to ourselves and other people. These are all the things that God is putting back together through Jesus, just like this passage says. So there's this transformation that happens in life in Christ where all of the things of the past are redeemed through who Jesus is, things done to us, things that we've done. We want to be a church that's committed to redeeming the past with all people. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, 
And so uh, one of the things I was thinking about is that as a new church, when we talk about participating in the work of God here and transforming this community into the likeness of Christ, um, we can't transform a community until we allow God to transform us. So there's this individual aspect of this story where God is working in our hearts to bring about transformation and redemption, where he takes our uh, broken pieces and he repairs them. He takes our pieces that, uh, the pieces of our heart that have been shattered and brings them back together. He takes the things that hinder us from the life uh, that he offers us, uh, the ways that we, uh, we miss the mark, the ways that, uh, that we, that we uh, are selfish, the things that we're addicted to, all the different things that hinder us. He takes those things and he redeems them and he transforms them. And so today, uh, as a church, we're committed to that redemption. We want to be transformed so that God can transform the community. It starts with us holding the mirror to our own face. And I believe that when we have that mindset, redeeming the past means this. I want to be a church uh, where everyone's welcome. Everyone is welcome here. Just because even when you look at these stories, uh, when you look throughout Scripture, what you'll find is some of the, the people that do the most significant things for God in His kingdom have terrible pasts. They're caught up in all sorts of different things that are uh, destructive, just like Saul. But we believe that no matter who you are, what you've done, your story is not over, and that redemption awaits you. So because of that, this message is for everybody. All people are welcome here. I want to be a church that everyone is welcome. And the second thing is when we're committed to redeeming the past, it also means that nobody's perfect. Everyone's welcome and nobody's perfect. And that's the beauty of a community of, of people in the church. We all have our issues. We all have our struggles. And we admit that. We acknowledge that. There's this idea uh, that the church had from very early on of confession. When we talk about confession, it's always like, uh, boy, that, that word comes with baggage. What does confession mean? I don't want to tell people what I'm struggling with or... Uh, but basically, confession is owning up to reality. And when we live in community together and we understand that each one of us is broken, we're able to share with each other the things that we struggle with. There's confession that happens. So everyone is welcome here, and we acknowledge that all of us are broken. We all start from the same place of brokenness. And the third thing, though, is that when we're committed to redeeming the past, we also believe that anything can happen. Anything can happen in, in community. Anything can happen in relationship with God. Because what we've seen is that even someone like, the, like Saul, who was a murderer, can find redemption. And someone like Joseph, who thought life could have been over, who was sold into slavery that was put into jail, had a great future waiting ahead of him. In Christ, anything can happen. We're committed to redemption. And this is a place where everyone's welcome Nobody's perfect, and anything can happen. So as we close today, as Matt comes up, we close each sermon, uh, we close each time together with this idea of communion. And as Matt comes up and closes us, we're going to move towards communion. But when you think about your own life right now, if we could spend some time to reflect, um, when you think about your past, you think about the things that have happened to you that have caused pain, 
the things that have caused uh, uh, dysfunction or discomfort, the things that have caused bitterness, the things that are hard to forgive. Uh, what things do you need to allow God to redeem? What are the things right now that uh, hold you hostage because of what other people have done to you? How do you need to allow God to redeem those things? The second question to reflect on is, um, in your own life, your own choices, what are things that you are doing right now that might bring about destruction for yourself, for other people, that hinder life? And it's probably not as serious as what Saul was doing, I hope not. We'll probably call the cops if it is. Um, but there's different things that we do that, uh, that hinder us from experiencing the life that God has for us. In what way does that need to be redeemed today? So let's spend some time just kind of reflecting. We want to be a place that redeems the past. And as we move towards communion, uh, communion is a, an open invite if you are a follower of Jesus, you can take communion. Um, communion represents how everything gets redeemed. There's bread that represents the body of Christ that was broken open for us. There's juice that represents the blood of Christ that was poured out for us. And through the death of Jesus, um, all of the punishment for the brokenness of the world is absorbed on the cross. And then what we find is that after death, there's resurrection because Jesus conquers death. He conquers the grave. And so we declare that there's life after death um, through the sacred act of what God does on the cross. And as we take communion today, we are reminded of that, the thing that brings healing uh, to all the brokenness. And then we also declare it, that this is what brings healing. So as we move towards communion today, let's think about this idea of redemption. What are the things that need to be redeemed and transformed right now? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for loving us. And Lord, we just had a small glimpse of two stories in scripture of people who have had terrible things happen to them or who have done terrible things to others. And we see that you don't give up on either situation. Lord, we, uh, we thank you for pursuing us through our brokenness. For loving us so much that you want to put everything back together. Lord, we want to be a community uh, that believes in redemption. That practices redemption. We want to be a place where everyone's welcome. Where we realize that nobody is perfect, that we all have problems, but also that anything can happen. So Lord, today I just pray that you would stir in our hearts, that you would speak to us, that you would transform us. That the things that we're holding on to that are actually damaging and destructive to us, to others, Lord, Lord, that you would uh, reveal those things and that you would forgive us and release us from them.
Lord, we give you this time. Please speak to us. In your sons, let me pray. Amen.
Dude, that's redeeming the past. That, that's a message that people can come and know. Whatever's happened or uh, whatever they're dealing with, there's redemption. Uh, today, if you're, if you're carrying around anything, maybe it's, it's something that's been done to you and uh, it's betrayal, it's, it's being lied about, and uh, you feel the weight of that, um, and you would just like prayer about it, um, we'll, be, we'll be in the back, you can go back, David's back there, if you'd just like to pray with him, that's great. Um, it, maybe you're carrying around something that you've, you've done to someone else, and it's destructive, and you just need to, uh, to come and um, allow God to transform it. Um, we'd love to pray with you today. We believe that in relationship with Christ, there is redemption uh, for our past. So as you leave today, may you know that. May you know that your story is not over. And may you also be one that brings redemption to others. Have a wonderful week. Love you guys. You're dismissed.